the incomparable. Number 571, June 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and our book club has reconvened in the second of three episodes where we're going to talk about the shortlisted fiction, uh, science fiction and fantasy, for the most part, from the Hugo and Nebula Awards. Uh, they can really nominate whatever they want, and they'll, you know, we will talk about it. It could be something not science fiction and fantasy at all, and we could debate it and, you know, all of that, but uh, these all probably qualify, unless my panelists say otherwise. Uh, joining me to talk about three books, three more books nominated for these highfalutin fancy awards are the following members of the book club. Erica Ensign is here, uh, multiple Hugo winner herself. Hello. Hello. Yes. Always excited to be here to talk about the books. I think these are just some of my favorite episodes to be on. And I've been reading so much lately. I'm just like, books, 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 books. So I'm, I'm juiced to talk about all this. That could be the title of this episode for all we know. Books, books, <laughs> books, books. <laughs> so many. Uh, although that was four, and we're only talking about three books, Erica. So that's really more like books, books, books. But you always ask us later if we're reading mm -hmm. anything. Ah, you know, that would be the, the interim, fourth books. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fourth books, the prequel to the fifth season. Also here, <laughs> Aline Sims. Hello. Hello. I am excited to report that I'm finally able to read with my eyeballs again. <gasps> Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Let's hear it for eyeballs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you read any of these books with your eyeballs? No. <laughs> all right. I'm knitting. I, I knit all the time. Okay. So future future oh, books will be maybe eyeball read. Perhaps. Perhaps. We, we, no, no guarantees, people. Uh, and Scott McNulty is here as well. Hello, Scott. Hello. I have eyeballs and books. And I must scream. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Also that. I, I'm internally screaming all the time. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's, that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's your secret. It's, it's distracting when I'm reading. Uh, yeah, keep it down in there. <laughs> That's I'm right. reading out here and my, with my eyeballs. When I'm reading, I don't actually hear what I'm reading. So that's, uh, anyway, that's, well, that's a topic a, for another podcast, I'm sure. Yeah, that's a pro tip. That's, we, we learned in this, we, um, some people don't picture, uh, any imagery when they read. They don't have an internal ability to picture things. Erica, are you in that camp? I mostly in that camp. I wouldn't say unable, but it, without somebody providing me an actual picture that I can then remember, I, I can't like make up images. I can't f make up people that don't exist. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. And uh, we learned that um, Serenity Caldwell reads diagonally. What? I still think about that from time to time. I, I, I'm well, not aware of there's this. There's an what? episode you can go back to. She reads diagonally okay. across a page and gets all the words, apparently, or at least enough. I don't understand it, but they work wow. for her. Wow. Yeah. Everybody's got their own thing. That's fine. Very cool. It's fine. I don't do audiobooks. Aline was only doing audiobooks. Mm -hmm. It's all. It's all. I good. want now. I want an episode about this where we just dive in, <laughs> and we can talk about whether stuff. you sub vocalize or whether you act out parts, yes. or if you write a screenplay oh. of what Put you're reading, list, or Jason. all of those things. All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Open that spreadsheet up. Put it on the list. All right. I, I, look, this is what this is uh, what podcasts are all about: is these kinds of things. So listen as I go. Ways that we read things. There it is. It's in the list now. I hope everybody's happy. Mm -hmm. I, am. I won't know what that means later. I'll have to listen to this episode <laughs> to remind myself. Let's talk about our first of these three books. Uh, let's start with Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. Now, she wrote Gods of Jaden's Shadow, which was on Lotso uh, shortlist last year. Love that one a lot. 
Um, I always refer to that book as Mexican Gods because it reminded me a lot of American Gods, except mm-hmm. in Mexico. Yeah. But this is this is actually called Mexican Gothic, so it's so so <laughs> close to that other uh, fake name that was not the name of the actual book. But this one, it is the name. Uh, would Would anybody like to tell us about? What happens in Mexican Gothic, if you can remember? Because remember, part of Book Club on the Incomparable is remembering books we read. Oh, well, this uh, it is set in Mexico. <laughs> Correct. Uh, my, my fun fact: five points, uh, <laughs> Scott. Hooray! Uh, in the 1950s, and it centers around uh, 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 a scion of a fairly wealthy, it seemed to me, Mexican family, mm-hmm. whose uh, cousin is married off to this enigmatic. Uh, uh, family uh, who came from England, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And they were, uh, there's something going on and she hasn't heard from her cousin in a long time and they were very close and she's concerned and so her father sends her off to go check out her cousin and she's an independent woman. She's uh, she's interested in learning things and she wants to have her own career and all that good stuff. Uh, but first, you know, family comes first so she goes off to check on her cousin and she finds that her cousin is living in this this. Uh, weird victorian house i feel spooky like. house it's a spooky house that they and this family came from england and they like brought soil with them from england mm-hmm. uh, for some reason and they started a mine and have done horrible things and <laughs> very creepy people live in there and right. as i was reading it the first thing i thought was just burn this house down and uh lo and behold <laughs> that, that may happen later in the book <laughs> It is. There is that moment where they're, uh, there's like the village and they're like, oh, and, and the history here. And it's like, well, there was a mine. Well, what happened? Well, guess what? Terrible accidents that killed <laughs> lots of people happened in the mine. And then what? Well, they just went back to mining. And then what happened? Yep. More terrible accidents that killed lots of people. Oh, great. <laughs> great. Yeah. Well, that does happen in mining. It does. Mm-hmm. It does, but they're they're you know they're they're spooky things afoot, and I don't know how yes. many spoilers we want to get to in this summary. But then it's over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it ends. The book does end and <laughs> yeah, resolves it itself. But yeah, this the, fundamentally what this is is a even though this is set in Mexico, this house has got all these English people in it, or mm-hmm. people who originally came from England, and the the village is people in the uh, up in the mountains in Mexico. Um, but they've got this estate, and it's got this. Uh, this Victorian house, uh, like mansion, it's a spooky haunted mansion. Basically, yes, it's, it's in, in, it's in, it's seen better days. And this it's family is super weird. Like they don't talk at dinner because the the patriarch doesn't think they should make noise. He doesn't want to hear the noise. Yeah. Want- um. And and so she comes and she's this vibrant. Because uh, in addition to being sort of like a student and she wants to learn and she wants to grow, she's also kind of vivacious. She's dating. She's partying. She's doing all this mm-hmm. stuff. Like she is a she is just a very vibrant out there kind of person. And these people are the opposite of that. They are <laughs> locked down and not uh, they're, they're not out there. They're in here. <laughs> Yeah, and they don't they don't leave. And her cousin was off much like her, right? She was vivacious and all this kind of stuff. And now she is uh, she's been told the main character of the book has been told that her cousin has been suffering from some sort of I guess mental breakdown or something and slash uh, has, has, consumption. She, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff has happened to her, and uh, she's here to find out why. All right, would it be fair for me to say that this is if if listeners are thinking that this is sort of a a very kind of familiar um, person, outsider comes to spooky 
house where spooky, weird things probably are going on <laughs> behind the scenes that they would not be steered wrong, that that is essentially... Mm-hmm. Because I, I would yeah. say one thing about this book that I will say is it's not surprising in what it is trying to be. It is what you think it is. It is that woman from the outside comes to the weird family that lives in the weird house. And guess what? It is super weird and creepy <laughs> and weird. bad things are going on. Like there, that it, mm-hmm. there is no... There's no twist there where it's like, oh, it's fine. It's not fine. It's all fine. <laughs> and I think that the book uh, uh, is not trying to make you think that it is not what it is, if that makes any sense. Nope. Like it's not a big That's twist right. that it happens. Nope. But I think the – and I know, Jason, you didn't – not to spoil things, but you didn't enjoy this as much as I did. But I think the the interesting thing about this book is two, – two things I liked about this book uh, is one, the character, the main character – who, whose name I don't remember, but I, I really liked her as a character. And I like the fact that she doesn't know what's happening in the book. Like it doesn't make any, like you, you've read so many of these kinds of stories that you immediately know what's going to happen. But if you were to experience this in person, your first thought wouldn't be, I should burn this house down because you shouldn't do that as right. a person. <laughs> and so she doesn't think that. Um, and and this, the other thing, I, I I feel like it's more of a... She doesn't know what kind of book she's in. She doesn't know. She doesn't know. At the end, she's figured it out. Yeah. But, oh, yes. Uh, she didn't read the dust jacket. Uh, and I think it's all about kind of setting a creepy, like uh, a creepy mood. It's all about the mood of the house. And, you know, there's there. It, it just kind of builds on this this creepiness um, that and if you don't enjoy that part, the book doesn't work at all. Right. Because it's a little repetitious and you think, well, OK, I get it. It's creepy. Mm-hmm. Tell me why it's creepy. Uh but uh, it worked for me, and I think that she is she's a very good writer, and uh, I think you can feel that she enjoyed uh, telling this creepy story. Mm-hmm. So that's it's, my two cents. It's very stylistic and moody, um, mm-hmm. and I think that she succeeds really well at both of both of those things. Um, you know, it's it's set in a different time, and it evokes that time, and it is set in this creepy place, and it really, ev- really evokes that uh, that place. It's actually called High Place. Is the name of the uh, mm-hmm. of the the house that she's in. Uh, her name is uh, Noemi, and uh, and yeah, I I didn't particularly gravitate toward her as a character. I thought she's very well written, but she's just the, she's the kind of person i guess in real life that would probably get on my nerves so she's the kind of character in a book who was just like wow okay yeah she's she's uh much more outgoing and she's like a party girl and you know she likes her fripperies and and that sort of thing which works really well i think in the book because that is a huge contrast with the world that she ends up in but I think it was fascinating to me how really into the book I was just from the very beginning, even though I didn't particularly love her like as a, a character. Like, I don't want her to be my new best friend. Um, but I just when I first started reading, I just I didn't want to put it down. I was like chapter after chapter. I was like, I need to find out what happens. I will say that as it went on, I got less and less driven to pick the book back up to find out what was going to happen because as, as Scott mentioned it is you know it, there is a bit of of repetition um which I think adds to the mood but also then sort of slowed down my interest uh, a little bit toward the middle and the end of the book um I'm not sorry at all that I finished reading it I enjoyed it overall it was a I thought it was a good book I gave it four stars on Goodreads so there you go um mm-hmm. and uh and yeah, I think I think it's a good book. I think it's not a book that I will return to often, if at all. 
Aline, what do you think? Solid. Kind of the, the same as Erica. I really want to see this made into a movie because... I hope Tim Burton's available. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I hope Tim Burton does not make this a movie. Um, because one of the things I really loved about it is how well the main character's outfits are described. Um, and people who know me well know that I watch a lot of bad TV in service of watching uh, amazing set design and great costuming. And this would be gorgeous if done right. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, it did kind of, kind of go on for a while mm. and um, it, not necessarily in a bad, a bad way. I mean, I made it sound mm. like it's bad, but mm. like, <laughs> Okay, so it's 301 pages. It's not an incredibly long book to begin with, but it felt longer than that to me. Um, but I still, I did really enjoy it. Uh, the The sense of place was so good. As a person who does not visualize anything, I don't have that capability. That's, see, I thought um, I was waiting for you to jump in earlier and say, yes, I'm the I'm the one you're thinking of who doesn't visualize things. Yeah, you yeah. You just let um, it slide by. You waited. I did. Mm -hmm. I did. I needed to drop it at an opportune moment. Um, it was, it, it it seems like it would be just beautiful. I think that there's a lot of opportunity in here for great set design and great antiquing for some guy, some designer <laughs> um, to create this as a movie. And I think as a movie, it would, it would work maybe a little bit better than it did as a book. Um, because it does get a little bit repetitive. Um, and some of the relationships um, by the end of the book aren't entirely believable to me. Yeah. Um, I feel, I think you're right. Maybe real actors in those parts would make that more believable because we could see the chemistry yeah. between the peoples. Mm. Yeah. And again, and I read this, I listened to it, right? So a lot of it is up to the narrator's interpretation of the characters and it, you know, it's one person talking to themselves. So um, it, it didn't, there didn't seem to be a lot of chemistry. It felt like the dialogue yeah. between the two characters was flat. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that was this, the same impression that um, the rest of you had. No, there's, yeah. I, I, I agree. I think that there, I know what two characters you're talking about that sort of end up kind of like together and, and are saving each other at the end. And, I had that thought that was like literally the reason that they're together is that there are only two possible choices and one of them is very evil. So this is the other one. <laughs> and that was not like, I never felt like, oh, there was a magic spark between them. It's more like, well, yeah. you're you're here. So here we are. You paint yep. mushrooms beautifully. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I liked it and I would recommend if it sounds at all interesting to you, read it. Because again, like Erica, I give it four stars. On Goodreads, four stars in my rating system are really good mm. books. So um, give it a shot if it sounds good. Yeah. And, and I, I know we don't want to spoil it very much, but I just realized I forgot to say that, like, I, I don't want to say about what the conclusion was, but I will say that I was satisfied by the, yes. the, the conclusion of the book after being slightly, you know, maybe not bored is not the right word, but after feeling like it stretched out for a while, when it came together at the end, it was like, oh, yeah, this works for me. Yeah. Cool. 
I like the ending. Um, I, uh, if we're all disclosing our good ratings, I gave it two stars. Um, but what I'm going to say, this is not a, a podcast where, where it's like, I, I say, no, don't listen to them. Don't read this book. I think the way we're describing it will make it clear to you whether this is your kind of, your kind of book or not. And like, for me, uh, this, the, the haunted, the spooky haunted manner and all of that kind of stuff, like this is a form and it doesn't really work for me. I roll my eyes at it and it's very Scooby-Doo and it just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. My other criticism of it would be what Erica and Aline have said, which is, I kind of feel like it's repetitious. Like when we're in the point where she's reached the mansion and things are increasingly creepy, I feel like maybe we do an extra lap that's not necessary, that it it doesn't feel to me like the story is really escalating in terms of creepiness as much as it's repeating itself. And I had a moment where I spoke to the book as I sometimes do. And I said, I get it book. I get it. It's creepy. Like where I felt like all the lessons had been learned, all the points had been made. I was ready for the next phase of the story. And the book really wanted to give me several more chapters of what I felt like I had already gotten. Um, The end is, dare I say, explosive. I mean, Scott already (laughs) mentioned, like Mm. you might have to burn the house down. Um, It, there's a, there's like creepy stuff and there's like action set piece stuff that happens at the end. Um, and I thought that was really well handled. My complaints are mostly that it's not really my cup of tea and it felt like it just sagged in the middle a little bit where, where she was, uh, kind of running in place. But, um, if our description of this, I mean, if, if like, oh, but we're up in the mountains in Mexico where there's a creepy haunted house and there's like really weird family and something very strange is going on, like either that's going to hit you and you're going to be like, I'm there. That sounds great. Or, or it'll hit you like it did me and be like, meh, okay. Um, I think that will determine whether you like this book or not, because it's 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 she's a good writer. I, I again, I think it felt a little repetitious, but she's a good writer. Uh, the character is interesting. The ending is fun um, and exciting, and there's some good bits in the middle when she gets out of the house that I like there's a creepy walk through like a forest and a cemetery and there's a visit to the little town and the doctor in the little town and and the the lady who's like the um. I don't know, herbal medicine woman. Mm-hmm. I like all of that stuff too. It's just that when they, we get back to the house, I felt like we had done the house already and then we did more of it and then we did some more of it. But, you know. I think gothic fiction is generally trying to to evoke a mood and the way to one way to do that is to just do repetitious scenes where it's like, yes, this is really creepy and they're doing creepy things it and it's, ooh, it's And it creepy. is creepy. Like, it does evoke like a, a creeping mood. Creep. It does, yeah. So I think it is, it is, it is, part of the genre imagine yourself in a dank dark quiet mushroom house and you're there <laughs> like that was that, it did a good job with, of that with tarnished silver mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. super mm, don't worry though they'll par- polish that silver creepy they will super creepy but so after i really enjoyed her previous book this was a letdown for me but i feel like uh it wasn't for all of you so much and mm-hmm. that um and that i think we have given people an idea of whether this book is for them, Mexican Gothic. We have spoken. All right. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. Uh, let us move on to uh, Network Effect, The Murderbot Diaries. This is, for, the, for those, Mar- Martha Wells wrote a series of novellas, basically, that were sold as as the uh, kind of like Murderbot. They were sold one one at a time, but there were four of them. They were short. And now this is a longer one. This is 350 pages um, as the first, it's sold as the first full-length Murderbot novel. 
honestly, I didn't even notice that it was longer than the others. I guess it was a little bit, but it just sort of felt very much like the fifth in this series of novels about uh, a, a murder bot, a, a weapons killing bot who is with a, you know, with a with a soul sort of um, who who is trying to make its way in the world. And uh, and this is the latest adventure in that series. Um, I, uh, would anybody like to speak for Murderbot? Explain <laughs> uh, explain about Murderbot. So Murderbot is a security bot, security and android robot thing Cy- kind of cyborg cyborg or or grow yeah. grow back it's a it's a reverse cyborg it's like mm. a yeah, yeah that's uh, closer. it's like a, a technological being but with organic parts mm-hmm. yeah reverse cyborg like like a brain um is there what is the besides the brain um so, there's some muscle tissue and stuff but it, yeah. they don't bleed it doesn't bleed blood it leaks fluids. <laughs> yes, <laughs> frequently. Yeah, it's like it's like super strong and fast, and has a computer brain basically, but also has like skin and muscles and stuff like that. It very it, it's a. I think the point of it, in some ways, is that these these uh, bots are meant to be uncanny valley kind of creatures, and then this one has has become free and autonomous and is a sentient being of its own right so we're leading to all those questions of like are the other ones sentient or not are they slaves or not and what makes this one different from them is it really really literally just that this one managed to get free you know i'm having trouble a little bit of trouble remembering exactly what happened in it because i had only read the first two and decided to dive in and read books 3 and 4 um, before I read Network Effect, so it all uh, blurs together. So it all started to blend well, together. But I did really, I, I, I feel like Network Effect was the one of the ones that I read where Murderbot sort of grows as an entity, kind mm-hmm. of emotionally over the course of these these stories. And I felt like that this was the one where the most emotional growth stuff happened yeah and i appreciate that mm-hmm. so murderbot and again you could probably read this book without having read the others but it certainly would be better if you read the four novellas before you read this but the idea here is that a friend uh a friend of murderbots ha- is um it has been well i mean it's complicated basically she has a friend who's a really <laughs> annoying ai on a ship and mm-hmm. then uh murderbot and people that murderbot is trying to protect um are and uh, you know they 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 end up getting kidnapped and they get taken back and it turns out that there's the ship that used to be the ship that her friend the AI was on but her friend the AI appears to not be there like they erased him and that's very upsetting and there's they're like kind of like an armed standoff with these these people who are the kidnappers and uh, it, it ends up being this kind of sequence of interesting events where there's this sort of like the tactical details with the armed standoff and finding out where her friend, the AI, might have gone or if there's a backup of him or whatever. And then the secret of what really has been behind this whole like series of weird events with the kidnapping and, and the hijacking of that ship, which leads to because um, in this world, 
most of the galaxy, but not all of it, is controlled by like corporations. And then there are also these people who are like activists who are part of a free space kind of sphere. And there's a planet that was being um, terraformed and it went horribly wrong. And it seems like that that's actually what's behind all of this is that there's a corporation that wants to take that planet back. And there may be alien relics there, but there may also be the residue of past attempts to colonize that planet by humans. And it's all kind of a mess. And it ends up with Murderbot having to kind of like go down a space elevator and shoot a bunch of people um, because Murderbot. Murderbot. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, but you're yeah. right that along the way, Murderbot likes to watch TV, <clears throat> likes to binge. Murderbot is the best binge watcher. <laughs> Murderbot beats another Murderbot gets gets uh twinned into an AI construct that gets uploaded to a spaceship where she meets another she so okay so I gender the Murderbot as she I think there are several points in the reading where it, it's suggested that she's identified she I thought Murderbot's pronouns were it Yeah yeah it's it's a challenge because I think Murderbot is mistaken for female but Murderbot yeah. is a Murderbot So and and I I'm unclear on whether Murderbot's pronouns are part of the evolution of Murderbot into a, right? Is the author evolving Murderbot <laughs> into accepting itself as a sentient creature or is it not relevant to Murderbot? It's fascinating stuff, right? Because Murderbot mm-hmm. is a murderous robot who also <laughs> likes to watch soap operas. Um, it's kind of great. But but Murderbot finds another um, Murderbot security bot and basically lets that one have autonomy. Uh, which is also fascinating because th- th- then you've got another one <laughs> who is also grappling with these same issues of like, do I want to help or do I want to get out of here because I'm free finally of being, uh, uh, of serving these people. Uh, so that's like, it's it's a kind of rollicking space opera action yeah. adventure kind of thing that also has a lot of questions of of freedom and identity and what makes somebody a person. And the interactions between Murderbot and people and interactions mm-hmm. between the people around Murderbot. And then I think my favorite is Murderbot's interactions with other AI. robots, other, other security yeah. mm-hmm. systems, other AIs, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I That's one of the things that I find really fascinating is that not only do you have all these levels of relationships between the different people and you know Murderbot, but you've got different levels of intelligence and or sentience in the different like you know you might have a a ship that's just a cargo loader that has a really really basic intelligence and then you might have a ship like Murderbot's friend art uh which stands for uh what is it a hole something transport yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's because he's a uh, jerk yeah, total, total jerk. Um, and and that is like one of the smartest entities in any of, of the books. And Murderbot interacts with all of these different people, entities, creatures in kind of the same way from uh, from its own perspective, but is but has different feelings about them, which a lot of the these the books are, you know, it's it's told from Murderbot's perspective. So you get a lot of per- parentheticals, which I love. I'm a f- huge fan of parentheticals in books. There's lots of that because as Murderbot is thinking thoughts to itself, it will also then think asides to itself as mm. thinking to itself. And I just I just love it. Those make me happy every single time. It's so great. There's so much going on, and I don't think I realized how much is going on until I tried to talk about it. And then I was like, wait. Oh, yeah. Just a second. For what was a series of novellas, this feels like it's essentially the contents of 
a couple of novellas in the series yeah. stuck together because there's all this spaceship stuff and then there's all this planet stuff that happens later. And I would actually, I mean, one of the things that confused me is that I didn't roll right into this one from number four. And I feel like the story really just picks up from number four. And in fact, I thought that the opening of, of Network Effects a little confusing if you don't remember exactly sort of how the fourth one ended. Yeah, um, me too. And I think, I think it starts out kind of confusing and then it gets better as it goes because you start to like put it all in pieces. But I think, I don't think it's intentionally confusing. I think it's just picking up the, the saga uh, where it left off but yeah there's a lot that goes on because there's you know there's the standoff on the one ship and then they find it they, they get to the destination and find the other ships and the space station and then they have to go down to the planet and there's just there's a whole bunch of different set pieces that are going on throughout the story it's there's a lot a lot that happens in this one mm-hmm. I, and i did roll from exit strategy right into network effect apparently mm-hmm. there's a short story that actually comes in between them which i did not know and i didn't read but i now want to go back and read it i do think every one of these is just like a, a a rollicking fun adventure but yeah this one was i was kind of on the edge of my seat the whole time there are very few I, I noticed scenes where you kind of get to sit back and breathe and every time that happened i was just like oh okay thank you thank you and then suddenly boom you're right back in action one of the things i really love erica you talked about um kind of emotional growth from Murderbot. And one of the things I really loved in those spaces where you can pause a little bit is there is a teenager on the ship. Yes. And Murderbot feels very, I mean, Murderbot feels protective of all of the humans because that's, that's its directive is to keep the humans alive and safe. But um, there's something there that's, that's blooming as more than just not romantically. I don't, I'm not implying that, but there's like a deeper uh, feeling of um, protectiveness that Murderbot has for this teenager. And I really, really like watching that relationship kind of unfold and deepen while Murderbot is completely in denial that sh- that they care at all about <laughs> this teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I, I love is that Murderbot is not willing to admit or able to admit or even able to see maybe anything about their emotional status or emotional health. There's a lot of denial in Murderbot. There's a lot, a lot of, of denial. denial. And it recognizes and, it's in denial, yep. too, which is a great meta thing. Yeah. And I, I, just, I don't know why, but I, I think it's really fun to read that. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, I, I think overarching one of the points of the, of the book and the, and the series is Murderbot is a person and Murderbot doesn't want to admit it. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the one little quote line that they have on Goodreads in the description is, I'm usually alone in my head, and that's where 90 plus percent of my problems are. <laughs> that's that's yes, Murderbot I saying that. Yes, I loved that line. Yep. I loved that line. Scott, what do you think about these Murderbot stories? I have been listening to you folks talk about it. and I, So I should say, first off, I enjoy the Murderbot stories. I've read them all. I haven't actually read them all. I haven't read the last one that just came out. But uh, I will read it. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking about the series as a whole. And I don't think I would say that the Murderbot series is one of my favorite series of the last few years. But I think I would definitely say that the Murderbot character is my favorite character of the last few uh-huh. years. Just because the Murderbot is complicated and also 
indiscriminately killing things, not indiscriminately, discriminately killing things. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, like, you know, uh, Aline and Erica were just talking about like struggling with, you know, typically uh, a thing like a murder bot would want to be more human uh, and murder bot both doesn't and is trying to become more mm-hmm. human. So there's an interesting interplay there where the murder bot is, you know, developing these relationships, but also saying, I don't want to develop these relationships. Mm-hmm. And this is just another job, although I can leave if I want to, but I don't want to leave, but I'm just doing it for them because it's my programming, but I can leave. And, you know, so it's it's an interesting set of scenarios that um, murder bot is constantly thrown into. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it the writing just kind of clicks along. Like there's not a lot of, you know, dilly-dallying something Mm -hmm. always happens that makes it interesting and it just keeps going and going uh i don't know i think the novella length might be better like Mm. murderbot might be better served as a novella versus a novel but um i i like it all so that that is uh that's just uh, uh if i had to you know cite some kind of flaw in it but it's a great fun read i gave it four stars i think i think martha wells Having not read anything that she's written other than these murder bot things, but it's very apparent from these that Martha Wells excels at these, you know, chatty stream of consciousness, um, very much uh, informal as if it was spoken by someone, you know, right? Like this is not the style of this is very much a chatty, informal I am hearing what Murderbot is telling me about this story, and and that carries it along. And so it it's of a very particular style that I'm sure doesn't work for some people, but I found it really fun. And you really do connect with the character. I think to Scott's point, maybe even more than you connect to the story is is just how funny and interesting and strange um, and endearing the Murderbot character is mm-hmm. uh, going bouncing around all of this kind of grand sci-fi spaceships and explosions and stuff. Um, I also really, in this one particular, I want to single out some of my favorite sci-fi settings that get played here, which is I, I gotta love an abandoned human colony. Mm-hmm. Um, gotta mm-hmm. love an abandoned human colony that went wrong. Gotta love an abandoned human colony that went wrong because of the discovery of a cache of of a previous alien civilization that did horrible things to them. Like, oh man, that's one of my favorite sci-fi things is that kind of stuff. And and it's it's got it here. And that you layer on top of it that they're the greedy corporate overlords who are like, no, no, it belongs to us now. And it's like, this is garbage and very dangerous and you should not want to own it. <laughs> but they're like, no, we're going to send people down there. We're going to own this garbage planet because it's got alien tech we could use it's like no you don't oh okay well send in the murder bot so i I love i love that that whole colony thing um with the weird buildings that don't look right that are the sign that they like built human buildings and then they got messed up by the alien interference and that stuff all works for me so that was a really Mm -hmm. uh, enjoyable part of of the story also the abandoned space station gotta love an abandoned space station right it's like what happened here what why is this mm-hmm. space station abandoned um and and That's nothing good it's not it's never good it never no never is. <laughs> but i but i love it so i and yeah what I, the other thing i was gonna say about the murderbot series is i like them i enjoy them i think they're really fun reads i am 
a little bit baffled why they keep getting nominated for awards other than like, maybe it's great that a book that's just a fun read gets nominated yes. for awards. Yeah. Maybe that's here, it. Here. That is great. People just love the murder bot. I think that is what it boils down I, to. I just wanted to make that point that like, I don't think personally, I would never list the murder bot books as like among the great works of sci-fi of the last 10 years, for example, to take an example. Um, since as we were recording this, NPR was asking people to ever list. I, I, I just would never file it in that way. Cause it's like, I don't know if it moves me and I don't view it as necessarily as like great art, but you know what it is? It's fun. And the main character is hilarious and interesting in lots of ways that characters often aren't. And so maybe it is great that these, that these books Mm -hmm. get nominated for awards because there's a place for recognizing that these things are just fun reads with good characters and they go to interesting places with this very interesting character. And I would argue that the the way that these books examine this particular character is actually something that is truly great. And because, you, like you said, that's not something that happens very often. And I think that this particular character and the way that it, it is able to examine what it is to be human. I mean, that's that's not a new concept, but just the, the angle that this comes at it from, I think, to me, is so fresh and interesting. Murderbot is not and, Mr. Spock, people. Or Data. No. Or data. As, wonderful. It just yeah. So I feel like these these are are totally books that I would put on nomination lists, and and I have, um, and uh, and yeah. I I think of all of them, and I have read the uh, the next one, Fugitive Telemetry, and I, I I do think that Network Effect is my favorite of all of them in. And because I think it's trying to do something different from the others. The the novellas are including Fugitive Telemetry, which is actually set before Network Effect, which what? is slightly slightly confusing. Huh. Um, but the, the rest of them, the novellas, mostly are here's a mystery. Uh, and they're, they, they are roughly connected to each other, all of these mysteries. But here's a mystery. Murderbot is kind of curious or somehow gets involved and then needs to figure out what happened. Usually there's a lot of dead humans involved. And uh, Murderbot needs to figure it out and solve the mystery and then move on to the next thing, which is probably the next novella. And that's what book six also is. Um, book five, Network Effect, which is the novel it does that. But like you said before, Jason, it has multiple sort of different mysteries that are piling on top of each other at the same time as then the uh, the younger character um, that Aline was talking about, who happens to be the daughter, the offspring of the woman who Murderbot saves in the very first book and is maybe starting to sort of kind of have an actual friendship with, except that Murderbot would never, never say no. that out loud. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I just, I loved Network Effect so much because not only is it a couple of rollicking stories kind of rammed together, but the... the 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 moving forward of the character just it, it really meant a lot to me it 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 was big <laughs> I love it and I do think it's award worthy so there take that Jason and all right one of the other thing I like about Murderbot quickly is that <laughs> we we get such a glimpse inside of Murderbot's head because most of the that's the viewpoint that we have right yeah. and so Murderbot is uh, not what you would think a murder bot is and everybody else who is looking at murder bot just sees a murder bot and so they are very unsettled by murder bot but mm-hmm. they don't know all these you know quirky asides and you know all the television shows that murder bot is watching while it's thinking about killing everyone on the ship uh and all of that so i just 
that's another thing that just delights me. You definitely have those moments where Murderbot is like extremely emotionally distraught and soothing itself with watching a favorite show, a favorite episode of a favorite show. And then it notes that the humans are like looking at it and being like, what's it doing? Like, is it? Listening to us, like, they're super creeped out, and it's just doing self-care and, like, trying to feel better. And and But from the human's perspective, it's like, what is the killer robot doing? <laughs> and that's the, <laughs> is is that's everything a, okay? It's a great contrast. No, I mean, you, you know what I mean. When I, when I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to take that. I am going to take that. But, like, <laughs> I, I'm struck by how it doesn't seem when you're like, oh, it's been nominated for all these awards. And then you read it and you're like, oh, but this is just fun. It's like, yeah, it's not profound. That, that's that's sort of my point. Is that is that I'm not saying it shouldn't get nominated more awards. I'm just more saying like it doesn't have a vibe of the, of nominated for many awards. And like if you want something fun, don't don't not read Murderbot because you're like, I mean, first off, the name Murderbot Diaries, like you should know. But uh, also, it's just it, 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 they're fun, and the Murderbot is. Adorable. It's not Oscar bait, is what you're saying. Uh, that and is that's what fine, I'm saying. Because I, I generally don't like Oscar bait. <laughs> this book will be playing for a week in Los Angeles and New York <laughs> in December. <laughs> Let's move on to The Midnight Bargain by C.L. Polk. Now, C.L. Polk wrote a book that we read that was nominated on shortlists uh, a couple years ago called yeah. Witchmark. Uh, Witchmark was uh, with a sort of not on Earth, but a Earth-like, World War One-like era where there are like families with magic and stuff, and I liked it. Okay, it was it was. Uh, I I didn't realize that was the same author when I read this, and then afterward I was like, oh, well, I liked the Midnight Bargain better than that. Um, it is uh, it is a a fantasy story also set in a uh world that is not ours but is like ours. So you kind of like it. It's a I don't even know. Is it a what? It's an what countries? It's an analog for. Um, there's. The, I mean, it 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 feels like the the whole style of the society feels kind of regency to me. It does. Where everything is very prim and proper. Every family sort of has their place in society. Every person in the family has their place. Women are made to you know make picnics and yes. you know. And have babies, and men are the ones that do the dueling. And while both men and women can have magical powers, uh, it it works out very differently because only men can go to the the special magic colleges to to actually learn right. how to use their magic. And women are supposed to only do little little illusions and things, you know, like move a fan to make you cool in the middle right. of a hot day, like what, simple things. The, what's different about this one to the the other book that was set in a world that was very much like an England analog, World War One England analog, is that this has though this other country that seems to have much more much more sort of like power and money and is and does not have the kind of uh limitations placed on women that are placed mm-hmm. in this restrictive society. So it feels the dynamic with the inside the outside world seems a little bit different in this because that's of course one of the key the key characters in this are a couple of people from a very 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 rich family that's foreign and they don't follow these restrictions on women the whole idea i mean the whole premise here is that women can't be magicians can't be full-fledged magicians because even though they have lots of magical powers they have to 
um, when they get get married and they have to get married, basically, they can't have magical powers when they give birth or the babies are possessed by demons is basically what they're told. And uh, and so by the time that they take off the equipment that blocks their magic after they've had kids, it's too late for them you know basically i mean does this sound familiar to anybody it's like child (laughs) childbirth as an impediment to a woman's career like it's too late for them to be magicians after having children and and the characters here are are young women who are not interested in um not being magicians i was gonna say not being mothers but that's not really true it's not interested in not being magicians and having a life of magic and yet they have to navigate all sorts and and our main characters uh, father is has some money, but is basically running out of money, and he's spending all of his money trying to get her to marry somebody so that they can have money again. And she doesn't want to get married because she's going to lose all of her magic. And meanwhile, she's like investigating forbidden books full of magic spells and that's where she runs into the uh, brother and sister and the sister is from the foreign country and she is also looking for the forbidden books in order to uh, learn this magic so that she can become a magician too so that's I mean that's and then you know you get your various cotillions and there are (laughs) various romance yep and there's a, a very like established set of like how magic works i like the system oh, of magic yeah. in these yeah. books it's real clear magic is yeah. i mean the reason the book's called midnight bargain is magic comes through bargaining with demons which is is why women are are not supposed to use magic at all while they are pregnant because demons are drawn to the 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 earthly world they want to taste sweet things they want to wiggle their toes in the sand they want to eat they want to dance they want to drink they want to kiss um and and if they see a little baby you know fetus uh, that's that's growing that doesn't actually have a soul in it yet they can just ensoul themselves in the fetus and then you end up with a child that is actually a demon and has no uh, morals, basically, and can burn your house down. You get that. You get yeah. that. That demon baby, Just and that's and that's the idea like is that baby. is that to become a magician, you have to ultimately escalate to the point where you're making a bargain with a a greater demon. And uh, greater demons, like you have to like go from the lesser demon to the great. There's like a path. Got to work your way up. And and the the having the children and not having um, magic for a certain amount of time short circuits that and makes it impossible for you to get to that higher level because you have to end your your magic use at that point. And yes, there are demons that are summoned for various things uh, and make bargains with them. Uh, and and which is funny. Our main character. Doesn't she end up with a with a demon that gives her gives gives her luck or gives bad luck to other people? Isn't that yes, it's a manipulates luck. Yeah. luck. It's a luck, luck demon. demon. Yeah, Naughty, which is, I believe. Yes, which is the name of her demon. Yeah, which is a great great character. I kept thinking it was sort of a uh, house elf like, a little Dobby like, but uh, you know, he just wants to eat sweet things and walk on the beach and stuff like that. But also will in exchange like, I'll make your enemies have unlikely bad things happen to them. <laughs> it does. I know. It's actually pretty funny. Yes. I did like this book. I enjoyed it. I uh, uh, enjoyed. Uh, I will echo what Erica said, and I enjoyed the whole system of magic. Uh, yeah. It's it's. Uh, so some books spend a lot of time on you know uh, describing in great detail their systems of magic, and some people are really into that kind of thing. I am not particularly interested in it, uh, but I do like it when it is in service to the story. Right? I don't want just like a treatise on magic, but uh, I think that. The magic system in this book is was designed to 
forward the the kind of uh, tensions that we the author wants us to think about with you know uh, women having a lack of opportunity and having to choose between you know uh, helping have a career versus having children and mm-hmm. you know you can't do both and uh, getting subjugated in society because they're basically breeding stock right and even though uh, many of the women are theoretically better than the men they they aren't allowed to go into the schools and like her father the main character's father is clearly just bad oh. at being a person mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's refuses. Not a good merchant. Yes, he's not a good merchant. Uh, and even I think I feel like he's just not a good father either. No. <laughs> uh, and no. so he does a lot of unkind things. I feel. And like. her mother, it, it's fascinating, right? Because her mother, like, is not involved with what he's doing for a while, and then you get the kind of I think a thing that happens to young people when they have this realization about their parents and like you realize then that her mother, like her mother is not, her mother understands exactly what's going on because her mother was a girl who wanted to do magic and got married and had children and didn't get to. And like her mother Mm -hmm. has more going on than, than she assumes at first because the father is so domineering and annoying because this is a male dominated society. Um, and I, I appreciate that there was more depth there in the in the mother too. In the end, mm-hmm. I had such a journey reading this book. Mm-hmm. I have I had more feelings about this book than any of the other ones that we have have read for a while. Uh, it started off, I it was well written, and that was a problem because <laughs> I was so frustrated by this society. Um, and it might have just been like the day or the the week that I happened to be starting to read this book. But but yes, Beatrice, our, our main character, is she you know, she starts out the, at the very beginning of the book. She finds one of these grimoires and then has it sort of taken away by like the, the rich, pretty foreign lady. And uh, and every at every turn, you see how just crappy her her situation is and how, you know, she's she has to meet this guy because she needs to flirt with him because she's one of the the few ingenues. The ingenues are the women who have actual magic power. And that means they are more um, desirable as as mates because they can add some magic into your bloodline. So as you said before, breeding stock. And I was just so frustrated because I was like, you know what? We haven't come as far as we think we are. And I'm dealing with so much of this stuff just as an actual person every day. And I was like, I don't I don't want to read this in my escapist fantasy. So I was I was like, oh, I have to keep reading this book. It's frustrating because it's because it's good and it is reflective of, you know, the way that I feel, the way that this character feels is sometimes the way I feel about my life. And that's both good and bad. Hmm. And then as I continued reading, I just got more and more sucked in and like just swept up in the excitement of trying to figure things out and you know taking up like you said jason with nadi the the luck spirit uh was a, a, a fascinating little element of uh, of chaos that's kind of thrown in from time to time There's in a, the book like a high stakes card game where she's way too lucky and it's super <laughs> dangerous if she gets found out right mm-hmm. and she does get busted by somebody mm-hmm. who then doesn't like bust her but uh and then of course then running through 
It's because he's dreaming, yeah. Erica. <laughs> Running throughout it all is <laughs> he's, dreaming. he's dreaming. And there's this romance that just absolutely, like, I just got totally swept up in the romance <laughs> side one. of things. Yeah. Yep. There is yep. chemistry in this one. And there, there's yeah. a good foil of the other person that she's almost forced to marry. And I was like, no, what are you doing, book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So by the end, I could like I I would have to put this book down to I don't know work or eat or something boring and Ugh. dumb like that, and I'd be like, no, I need to get back yeah. to it. I I swept through this book so fast, and by the end, and I don't want to spoil the end, but I do want to say that it is the ending of a book uh, I think that has made me the most happy huh. and the most like just. I I glowed at the end of this book. It was so satisfying. Everybody dies at the end, and Eric is a monster. That's why she was glowing. That's right. The house. I'm not. Down. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say whether that's true or not. But uh, it was just. It was satisfying, and it wasn't like satisfying in a way that was just like, oh, everything that Erica wanted happened at the end of the book, just because because that would be nice. No, it actually like all of those things fell into place because they were set up earlier mm. in the book in a very skillful way. And mm-hmm. yeah, I th- wish I could give this book six stars. Wow. So that's where I am. Oh. Yep. Yikes. I uh I liked it a lot. Um if I have I do have a couple of complaints. <gasps> one of them is so so <laughs> one of the great things about this book is that it is portraying the way like the way it portrays the women in this society and how everything is rigged against them and how they have there there you can see how this society is built in this way it obviously is meant to parallel um other other societies on in the real world um and that's one of the messages of this is really these women want to be empowered and the society is going to fight them at every turn and that's when they have their successes it's really exciting and great because the odds are against them and i i really liked it and i liked the message it was sending i will say that at some point sort of midway through the book i had a moment where i said i get it book again i talked to the book (laughs) and i said i get it book this is a terrible sexist society and the women are mistreated because I do think maybe it's a bit much uh, like th- there are a lot of things that happen in it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I got it. I, I get what you're saying. I get it. Where like, I don't know. I felt like, I felt like the message had been sent and received and then was sent several more times that again, in the middle, it could have been a little bit, a little bit tighter, a little bit um, less of that repetition. And then my other complaint is about the ending. Sorry, Erica. <laughs> but it's not the it's not that it was bad it's that it it feels a bit abrupt and i i i'm going to credit cl polk because the end of this book also is it's not as if there couldn't be a sequel to the midnight bargain but it's kind of like cl polk saying if i write another book in this series i'm not going to take the easy way out i'm not going to be able to like end it where it's like our characters have gotten to an interesting place. Where will they go next? I don't know. Instead, it's sort of like, let me tell you what happens to our characters. The end, right? And I I appreciated that, but it also, like, it all gets so resolved and some of it so quickly that I actually wished it had dwelt upon the resolution a little bit more, if that makes any sense. I I felt like it was a good ending, but it was also abrupt, and I would have traded some of the middle for a little bit more of the ending, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Books don't work that way, Jason. 
No, I, you can't bar- you can't bargain with the book. Come on. This, again, I talk, I talk to the book, right? And I'm like, come on, book. A little less in the middle, a little more at the end. Can you do that for me? And the book doesn't say anything because it's a book. Oh, because yeah. it's not speaking to you. No. If you're out that there, CL Polk. The mad. Come on. <laughs> what, edit, edit your award-nominated book, CL Polk. Come on. That's for me. And I will say, I read this book uh, and enjoyed it greatly. And I said to myself, I think Marisa, my lovely wife, will enjoy this book. So I said, hey, Marisa, read this book. And so she did. And she enjoyed it. And then she read the uh, three books in the Kingston cycle, right. the Witch Mark. Witch Mark and its two sequels. Immediately afterwards. And I was like, I haven't. Even, I read the first one, but I didn't read the other two. And she was like, I want more. Ah. And I'll say The Midnight Bargain is now one of the books on my comfort read lists Mm -hmm. Um, so it's with uprooted and spinning silver and the golem and the genie and the hidden palace it's it's in that pile of like i need something that i will enjoy reading that's comfortable to me you know just like this is like slipping under a a cozy blanket with a, a mug of tea reading this book yeah that i i totally see it it's good and and um it's good. The plot is good. Uh, it will emotionally take you on a ride, right? Where you're like, no, that guy is bad. He's like the captain of the football he's team. Really bad. And, uh, he's like, no, he's bad. Don't they understand how bad he is? Um, so it takes you on that kind of ride. It does have a satisfying ending, even though I wanted more. Uh, that was the only the only unsatisfying thing about the ending is that it wasn't there like wasn't enough of it. There was, <laughs> I, I also feel like one character didn't get enough comeuppance, but I, I will uh, not uh, say which character or why but right that... i can i can yeah well i think that that's that's sort of how i feel about the ending though right is that i felt like there was more that could be done with the resolution of some of that that the book sort of like right. doesn't want to like there's a moment not to not to spoil it in, in particular but there's a moment where it's like uh quick on the ship we're going we're going to resolve everything right now and i thought yeah. really that that fast you're going to resolve yeah. everything <laughs> but uh, th- so they to, did to their to <laughs> their credit it it to me, it, it worked because each of those little pieces that had to like be in, set up in place yes. in order for that set piece to work as fast as it did had been pre-planted oh, yeah. ahead of time. Oh, so, yeah. But I, okay. I, I would also have, I mean, as much as I adored this book, I guess I too would have liked if the end had been longer. I just wanted the whole book to be longer. What, what, what a cruel criticism to have, which is I really yeah. wanted more of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not enough of this book in this yeah. book. And, That's and what to, I say. And I just want to, I just want to, um, say what scott said there basically again which is you know some books they're like i got a magic system people let me tell you all about my magic system and like should this not be a D module at this point like why are all we why are we here are, isn't this supposed to be about a story this is not that kind of book this is a book with a really good interesting magic system and at no point do i feel like i am having rules downloaded into my brain from the you know the back of the dungeon master screen it, it just it it's it's very artfully done um and not realizing that cl polk had written that other book that i liked um that i still think of fondly from time to time when i go oh right which mark i remember that one um uh after the fact, looking at this, I can say, Seal Polk, I'm 
you know, one 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 I'm going to watch, and I may go back and read those other books too because I, yeah, I think this is two books that I've really liked from Seal Polk. Mm-hmm. I you know I do to your point about the uh, the the magic system. I think one of the things that was so skillfully done is we are learning quite a bit about the magic system as the main character Beatrice is because Beatrice doesn't know how right. a lot of it works, mm-hmm. and when she learns something, we learn something, and. You know, it it would have been so easy to put in a scene where somebody sits Beatrice down and just info dumps all over her, and that never happens, and I'm so happy. So that is the three books that we're reading for this episode. We will be back uh, in a little while with another episode where we will do the last two shortlisted books, Harrow the Ninth and The Relentless Moon, as well as we'll probably read some of the Shorter Hugo nominated fiction. We'll have to do some assigning there, probably, because I I can't I don't think I can assign everybody everything, but maybe we can we can pick and choose some things there. Um, but before we go, as always, I would like to ask people if there are any books that they've been reading lately that they would like to recommend to people. Scott, uh, yes, mm. I will recommend. I think you did a recently read about the galaxy in the ground within. Did oh you? yes, I did. All right. Well, I I will not rehash what you said because I'm sure you said what I would say better than I would. But it's a fantastic book where nothing really happens. Mm-hmm. A bunch of people just wait for something to <laughs> it's happen. It's by Becky Chambers. And... It's in the Wayfarers series, but again, it's not really a series because no. they're all the they're yeah, loosely connected. They're all tenuously connected to one another. But if you if you read Long Way to a Small Angry Planet and Closed in Common Orbit, like it's that it's that series. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should read them all, uh, but the galaxy in the ground within is fantastic. Um, I think and, it's the best. Uh, I think it's the best one. <gasps> Ooh, oh, wow. I can't wait to read it. It's episode fifty-eight of recently of recently read. read. Check out and oh, and my listen to that. My elevator pitch is: you know that old cliche about how an actor is so good that uh, you'd listen to them read the phone book, which I hate that cliche. It's dumb because phone books mm-hmm. are boring. Um, that, but this is like that. This is such a magic trick on Becky Chambers' part. It's like, what if I did a story? In which nothing happens, like Scott said, where nothing. I mean, some things happen, things but like, happen. but kind of nothing. Ha- it is literally a story mm-hmm. about aliens having to wait around for uh, yes. the weather to clear, and it's great. It's, it's, it's magically great. It's, like, it's very good. It's and so it, good. The nothing, nothing happens. Much like in Seinfeld, has a reputation of nothing happening in Seinfeld. Things happen in Seinfeld, but it's it's. They're basically just hanging around. Who are these people and what are their perspectives? And they're all from different alien races. So they all have to kind of like understand each other. And they all make assumptions about one another that uh, that they are they learn like maybe my assumptions about you weren't true or why you're like that. Like there's a lot of just great character work. There's some drama. Um, the one, one of the things that I appreciated about it is that the only alien race that is not represented until very late in the book at all are humans. humans. <laughs> there is a human who shows up late in the game briefly, mm-hmm. but really it's not about the people. It's about the other people, the alien people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's brilliant. It really is brilliant. And, uh, thumbs another up. book that, I, yes, two thumbs up for me. Uh, I, so I just bought it. <laughs> like just now. Okay, good. You you won't regret it. No. Uh, and another book I enjoyed is uh, Una Out of Order by Margarita Montemore. I think that's how I probably mis- mispronounced that. Uh, but basically this book is uh, Una is the main character. She turns 18. Uh, her birthday happens to be on New Year's Day. Uh, she turns 18, goes to sleep, wakes up, 
And she now realizes that on her 18th birthday, she is now living her life out of order. So she's 19 years old, but she wakes up in her 32, 32nd year of life uh, and realizes every year from henceforward, she hops to another year in her life. Uh, and so she's hopping around time and it is never explained why this happens. Uh, but it's a book about how she deals with living her life out of order and how uh, difficult that transition might be. Uh, and it's fun. Uh, it's a fun character study. It's also fun if you like time travel, because there's, she has thoughts about how she, she's, so she wakes up and she's rich because of course she is, because she's a time traveler, but how does she, she figures out, you know, how to send herself messages and, and things like that. So it's interesting. Nice. Those are the two books I would recommend. All right. Aline? Well, Jason, you may have heard of this little book called The Hidden Palace by Helene Wecker. What? Um, yeah, it's so good. I'm not saying that just because Helene is a friend. I would be raving about this book regardless. It is so, so, so good. Um, like it was like an instant five star read for me. And I'm I'm so happy that it's here and that we get to read it. Um and I'm kind of on an Anthony Bourdain kick. So I uh, read Kitchen Con Confidential recently. I'm now reading his first novel, which is not super great, but it's okay. Um, and so I think I'm going to kind of continue along an Anthony Bourdain uh, track while I'm, um, you know, in between uh, books for our next episode of award nominees. Nice. Erica? Uh, well, I mean, speaking of the recently read podcast, I can point you to episodes uh, 59 through 63 mm -hmm. uh, because I went on a tear. Uh, just to quickly pitch them, I read uh, Brightfall by Jamie Lee Moyer, which is a uh, sort of a Robin Hood tale set like 12 years after most of them. And the main character is a middle-aged Marion uh, who has been left a decade before by Robin and people start dying and she has to solve the mystery using magic. Uh, it's pretty great. Um, then Tea and Sympathetic Magic by Tansy Rainer Roberts, which uh, Midnight Bargain is sort of a, a Regency style society with magic. This is as well, but this is a much more sort of like light and frothy version of that, where we have uh, a sea of debutantes who all want to like marry the Duke, except our main character doesn't want to marry the Duke. She just wants to go drink some damn tea and read a book. Um, but then there's a then there's a cute um, guy who's supposed to ferret out spells for the Duke. And of course, she falls for him. It's it's just delightful. Uh, then I also read Fireheart Tiger by Aliette de Bodard. Uh, she just everything she writes is just gorgeous. And this is no different. Um, it's a a beautifully written it's like a queer romance that's very complicated with lots of politics and inter uh, international politics and there's also a fire elemental so it's 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 fun and slightly heartbreaking and also fun uh, and then I very quickly zipped through the Nightshade series by Melissa F. Olson, which is um, three short books about what if vampires were actually real. And I love a take on what if vampires were actually real and the world found out about it. And in these books, the world kind of just doesn't care um, for the most part, unless uh, unless the vampires are murdering people on your uh, back stoop, in which case, yes, it's important for the FBI to have a uh, have a person who's in on investigation investigating that and it's totally a cop not a cop series of books and the not a cop happens to be a vampire so if that sounds good those are fun 
Um, and I'm still working my way through the Fallen Blade series by Kelly McCullough and got to book four, which is Blade Reforged, which is where I fed, fell head over heels in love with the series. Like all of the characters just sort of deepen and the story gets really interesting. And um, that made me very, very happy. I also mentioned that I read Fugitive Telemetry, the sixth book in the Murderbot series, which is set before book five. If you like the rest of them, you're going to like this mm. one. <laughs> that is all I have to say about that one because it's very similar. Um, and there's a really, really fascinating story in Uncanny Magazine called Where Oaken Hearts Do Gather by Sarah Pinsker, who's written some stuff that we've talked about before on our book club podcasts. Usually when somebody tries to do something very interesting with the format of a short story, I go in with a decent amount of trepidation. And this one is basically a story that is entirely told in the comments of an internet posting site that uh, digs into folktale, uh, not folktales, folk songs. And there's this song called Where Oaken Hearts Do Gather. And the entire short story is just these posts back and forth between people trying to figure out what the different verses uh, and words and stuff of this song actually mean and what they refer to. And it. Like, I, I started reading it and going, there's no way she can tell a story that I'm going to find interesting in these comments. I'm like, yeah, she like I, she's developing these characters. I recognize, like, each one of these posters has their own personality and stuff. And by the end of the story, I was like, holy crap, she did it. She pulled it mm -hmm. off. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. So that's a, that's a good short one to check out. Um, I don't know if you've heard about this little book called The Golem and the Genie. Uh, I decided to reread that because I haven't gotten to the uh, the Hidden Palace yet, but I needed to reread the first one. Yep. And it is still amazing. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't read it and you've been thinking about it, check it out. Helene Wecker's The Golem and the Genie. And if you have read it, you should just read it again because it's it's a delightful reread. Um, and I wanted to give myself just like a little bit of a break in between the books. I don't always want to jump from book one to book two. So I was like, okay, I will read one book, one book in between before I jump into The Hidden Palace. And I started the book called Power and Majesty by Tansy Rayner Roberts. And it's it deals with um, people who can turn into animals and it's a very fantasy setting where the sky attacks the city every night and these people have to fight the sky to save the city. But the people in the daylight city don't actually know that it's happening. And of course, we have somebody who didn't know anything about it and suddenly gets sucked into that world. And there's lots of infighting and sex and blood. And it's just really compelling. And I got to the end of it and I I kind of had to jump to book two immediately. So I am almost done with book three now of the Creature Court trilogy by Tansy Rainer Roberts, which starts with Power and Majesty. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to the end of it, not because I want it to be over, but because I really want to get to the Hidden Palace. Uh -huh. so, so yeah, lots and lots of reading for me lately. Wow. I'm looking yep. at what I've read lately, and um, there were a couple that I thought were okay. Um, the one that I read that, uh, the things that, things that I read that are not new but that i liked more than a little um i finally read binti by oh, so good nanady okorafor previously on the incomparable book club i tried to read a nominated uh binti novella that was the second one having not read the first one and i did not know what was going on and it was very confusing well i read the first one and it's really good yeah. About a very specific character mm -hmm. from a very specific place who goes into space and some extremely strange things happen to her. 
and uh it's really good and I, that's all i'll say is it's very good very very surprising things happen and uh we learn a lot about space and about binti um and uh this will be a subject of a forthcoming it's incomparable cross promotion here a forthcoming mm-hmm. episode of sophomore lit I had never read, I read the short story. I had never read the novel Flowers for Algernon by Daniel Keyes. Um, I loved it. It's great. It's, uh, I, I, I cried mo- many times while <laughs> reading it. And I liked the short story, but I think the expansion that uh, Daniel Keyes did in turning it into a novel uh, was... Uh, very impressive. So uh, it's an oldie, but I would say a goodie. Uh, it's not that long. It's like 200 pages. Um, so it's not that, I mean, it's not, it's, it was a short story, right? It could, how much bigger could it get? Um, but <laughs> if you, if you don't know the story, the idea here is that there is a guy with an intellectual disability named Charlie. He is given an experimental drug that makes him a genius. Um, and just as he's reaching sort of the top of his super geniusness, he realizes that the mouse, who was the test subject, Algernon, is um, losing its amazing abilities to run mazes and things like that. And bef- Charlie does some research himself and realizes that um, this moment of of insight that he has will not last and that he will go back to who he was before or at least somebody who is not who he is now maybe not who that's a question will will he be changed by this or not and along the way i think it has a lot to say about society and about empathy and about how we treat people who are different um in a science fictional context so even though it's from 1959 i thought it was brilliant and that um that you should read it if you haven't read it it's worth a read daniel keys flowers for algernon i'll have more to say on sophomore lit. This is a, a controversial opinion, Jason. <laughs> I, I actually don't know where Flowers for Algernon is in the uh in in how people feel about it and also how they feel about the novel versus the short story. I read a couple of things that are like, oh this novel is bloated. The short story is fine. It's like, I don't know, I thought the novel was really good and it's two hundred pages long. How bloated could it be? It adds actually it adds a lot of logical things that you're in the short story and you're like, really? Would that happen that simply? That seems like and it's like, oh no, not in the book. In the book, he <laughs> he, he makes all those uh things very complicated. So mm-hmm. I liked it. I've only seen the movie, so yeah, Cliff Robertson, apparently. People didn't like the movie. Some people like the movie. He he did he win an Oscar for that? Nominated for an Oscar? Something like that. Anyway. Uh, nominated. Oh, one uh yes, he won. He won. Actor. Anyway. You can watch the movie or not. I don't know. I didn't watch the movie. I read the book. It was a good book. And that brings us to the end of this book club. So, yeah, I picked a book from the 50s. Go figure. I didn't know that was going to happen, but it did. Uh, We will be back again with uh, those remaining books that we haven't gotten to and maybe some short fiction, too. And uh, until then, I want to thank my fellow book club members. Scott McNulty, thank you. I feel like I'm a different person than when I was before this podcast started, Jason. Mm. Maybe it's because you've binge watched a bunch of uh, sci-fi uh, soap operas from the future. It's true. And my wife came in and was creeped out. Mm. <laughs> it's all coming together. Aline Sims, thank you. I'm so glad I get to talk about books with you all. Isn't it nice to talk about books? I think so. I hope it's nice to listen to people talking about books because that's what this <laughs> podcast so. is. Mm. Eric Ensign, thank you. 
Thank you. I just realized I forgot to read the cute tagline for uh, Power and Majesty. It's a otherworld urban fantasy inspired by ancient Roman festivals, Parisian cabaret theater, and the Roaring Twenties. And I think that really sums up those books very well. And uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening to us talk about books. We'll be back in a future installment to talk about more books. But until next time, goodbye. Books, 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 books